0: Welcome to the hockey PDO cast. My name is Dimitri Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy Jesse Marshall. Jesse, what's going on, man? Good to be with you as always. Thanks again for having me. It's the it's the triumphant return of the film club. I um, love it. We've uh we've done Crosby, I think. We did Josh Morrissey last time. Today we're doing Timo Meyer, a player that um we chose to feature for this installment. You wrote about him. I've been thinking a lot about him, you know, collectively. Uh, as, as a hockey community, we've been talking a lot about him. I I presume that'll only continue to be discussed even further up until the March 3rd deadline, or at least until he's traded. Um, so this is, this is perfect timing. This is, uh, we're going to get right into it. We're going to talk about what we see from him on tape and, uh, how he attacks, what he does, what he brings to the table, how he would fit with potential contenders, all that good stuff. So I'll open the floor to you here in your, in your deep dive of him. What do you see on tape from from Timo Meyer that really sticks out to you the most? Uh so I I think he is the twenty twenty three version
1: Dimitri, of what it means to be a dominant net front presence.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I think you I always you know laugh when there's this like humoring you know between data and video. This is one of those scenarios, man, where like you look at the the shot maps on HockeyViz uh, and the rates at which. Uh, the sharks generate shots with Timo Meyer on the ice. And there's this dense area of crimson, almost black red right in the crease. And then you look at what the sharks do when Timo Meyer is not on the ice and it's a zit. Mm -hmm. They barely sniff the crease without him. Um, It's a, you know, I use the word habitual and second nature, like in the article a lot, because I, I try to drive home the point that if you watch the tape on him, everything he does is is followed by going to the front of the net so uh come across the zone with possession pass get to the front of the net win a puck battle along the wall pass get to the front of the net i mean he lives there and it's not the you know a lot of people in my mentions demetri said oh i thought about patrick cornquist when i read that article i didn't because i think patrick cornquist is more of the bop you over the head style of nuisance net front player yeah more stationary right yeah, whereas Timo Meyer move around and, and stalks that open area and is more of a, a premonition type player of I'm gonna go to where the puck is gonna be and I know where I'm gonna need to go to score a goal. I frankly, and this isn't a knock on him, none of his offensive skills, they're all like they're fine, right? They're fine. that's it. You don't look at him, you don't say like Jason Robertson, for example. You said, Oh my god, what a shot. Look at his shot. I mean, he his release, the velocity, all this with Timo Meyer, it's fine. His shot's fine. Uh, it's, it's area play it's knowledge and it's, it's living and really dedicating yourself to getting to those scoring areas around the crease. Um, all the videos I post, you know, I I show him taking all these really important actions at five on five play. And then again, just setting up a base camp, uh, for the net and living there. And if you, you know, you, it's rare to see one, a forward have that kind of impact on his five V five results for his team, you know, and, and look at the impact he has when, you know, versus when he's on and not on the ice but then separate from that you know just don't see Fords doing it habitually like that anymore you know it's it's the the game's changed now and you know it's not the it's not the 90s version of net front play but it's a new version that i think that frankly i don't think anyone's doing better than he is
0: yeah he extends it um you know compared to some of the other like traditional net front guys you think of where it's much more as you said with Hornquist, he just kind of like stands in front of the net makes you have a defender on him just is a nuisance to deal with from a physicality perspective there. He's moving much more. It's also extended out a bit further. Right. I'd say like, he's like the the prototypical um, home plate area player in, in today's game where it, 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 he's always moving in the offensive zone. That's what I really noticed. He always makes himself available for passes, right? Like how many instances are there where all of a sudden, they get that first shot. Then he's kind of circling around, and he finds a way to get himself in the middle of the ice again to either put his stick down for for a redirection or just make himself available in that way. And and so it was really cool seeing that. You're right. I mean, I think part of that is the fact that the Sharks have like three good offensive players, and they typically sure. load them up together uh, in for especially offensive zone shifts at five on five. So part of that on versus off, I think, is is because of that. But you're right, and he is he's taken his game to another level uh, since the start of last year. Clearly. But even when he wasn't producing the way he is right now, he's pretty much always in the NHL been like a high danger chance generating machine, right? Like now he's much more featured in the offense, and and basically is him and Hurdle up front. But even when they were deeper and 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 when he was playing you know softer lighter minutes, whenever he was on the ice, he seemed to be creating like a high danger chance every other shift almost I felt like. So this is just a continuation and extension of like a player like that entering his prime and sort of putting it all together offensively.
1: We don't generally think of like prototypes like that of being you know good skaters, but I think you know even some of his most impressive work. You talk about these lanes he takes, right, and getting to the net. I mean, you look at him on on entries, especially where he doesn't have the puck. He'll get as far away as he can from everyone else and <laughs> just try mm-hmm. to try to lurk and linger. Um, but he also has the ability to get from point A to point B really quickly. And I don't think he has you know necessarily a, a, a traditional blazing top end speed, but his ability to get. To his top end speed is very short and that enables him to, to and i posted a lot of clips of this nature too to attack and forecheck um you know that that's that's just as much as this get to the front of the net thing as anything else is if you're breaking the puck out of your zone as a defenseman you have to be aware uh, he can get to you quickly he's aggressive uh, his his closing speed is really fast and, and when he gets the puck from you I mean, you know where he's going with it. So there's no mystery there. Mm-hmm. But I think that's the thing that shocked me again. If we talk about, like, again, prototypes, right? And like traditional guys that are good in that home plate area, like you said, we don't generally think of them being quick to the pucks, good four checkers, fast. Um, you know, again, these are all attributes you could kind of throw at him. And it gives him a whole other dynamic element to his game uh, that enables him to get to those scoring areas more frequently.
0: Yeah. At 515 specifically this year, he's first in shot attempts, first in shots on goal. And I believe only Zach Hyman has more high danger chances generated than according to natural stat trick. And so in preparation for the show, because I knew we were going to really geek out and and deep dive it, I I decided to spend my entire morning watching back every single one of those shot attempts he's taken this year to see just kind of trends, takeaways, what he was doing, how he was getting there. And we're going to talk a lot more about that. I will say though, I know Eric Carlson's getting a lot of love, and he's either the Norris Trophy favorite or right up there with Adam Fox as a 1A, 1B situation. And he's the one making $12 million this year, so he should probably be picking up the tabs on a lot of uh, road trip dinners. But I feel like Timo Meyer owes him a few dinners for how much he's made his life easier this season. I mean, he has been putting the puck on a silver platter for him so frequently and and they have obviously a great chemistry together but it and you know to meyer's credit what i said like i think it's a real skill that he's able to sniff out these you know soft areas in coverage in the offensive zone get a stick down and anticipate that play and make himself available and then once he receives it corral the pass and do something with it but the way carlson's looking for him and the way he's setting up so far this season it's it's truly magical they run this like little set play uh, i'm not sure if you saw it in, in your tape study of them where it's always off the left circle in the offensive zone, right? And and they win it back. And Meyer starts starts off the shift at the left far far out hash marks. Once the puck comes back to Carlson at the point, Meyer makes his way across body to the right wing. As he's doing so and floating through the zone, he opens up for the one timer and Carlson kind of hits him out with this like stretch pass diagonal um one timer opportunity. And they've run that a few times this year. And it's 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 so beautiful to watch. So um I just I just love the way those two guys kind of play off of each other. And, and it's a perfect mesh of skills. It feels like a guy who's so good at distributing the puck and someone who not only loves to shoot it, but loves to shoot it from these dangerous areas. You got to love that set play too,
1: Dimitri, because oh. it's only
0: bolstered by the NHL's
1: lack of interest in calling any kind of interference on Thomas Hurtle, just putting a plow on the front of his <laughs> Jersey and pushing everybody out of the way to make that lane uh, fun for Meyer along yep. the way. Uh, yeah, that's great. No, you're right. Uh, and, and you know, th- there's that, that line in particular, Um, You know, so much good offense in this league uh, when you look at, you know, I I think I said in the article and I might misquote this, but they're in the top three or four uh, LeBlanc, Meyer and Hurdle were in terms of their expected goal generation. Mm -hmm. And that was among, I think, lines of at least 300 minutes. You're talking about really heavy hitters as far as playing together is concerned, their ability to go off script as well. And I think when they elongate offensive zone possessions and they're wearing a team out, they almost sense that. I don't want to use a shark pun here, right? Like blood in the water, but they'll, they'll, I mean, you see them out there for like a minute 35 sometimes like just holding court in the offensive zone. Uh, Everybody's in motion, circular wise. You've got LeBlanc moving around hurdle, dishing pucks off Meyer planted in front of the net. Carlson activating and acting like a fourth forward, pinching down the wall. Uh, it's exhausting. I mean, I, I I don't know what you do. To, you just you don't let them in the zone. That's really it. You just can't let them in the zone because they get going and there's no. It's not a system, right? It's it's three guys that are all equally talented and really battle areas of the ice, uh, being a nuisance and tough to knock off the puck. Uh, that that stood out to me too. Is just how much of this isn't written and is
0: just uh you know um, bully style hockey, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. They, I mean, they freelance really well of each other. And that's something that, you know, highly skilled, offensively gifted players tend to do. Um, and it's nice that those guys have found it even on a bad team, you know, Meyer shot 10.7% last year. He's at 12.3 this year. He's at like 10.4 or so for his career. It's funny watching him as a shooter. I'm not sure if you feel this way, but I feel like, you know, in totality, it captures the fact that he's a volume shooter by nature, despite the fact that he gets them from high danger areas. But I feel like it doesn't do justice, like how um, lethal his shot potentially can be. I know you noted that like, he's not, doesn't necessarily his shot doesn't the Jason Robertson style stand out of like, wow, he's just going to stand there, pick his spot and there's nothing you can do about it. But it feels like once he gets his feet set and I'm no, no shooting mechanics doctor by any means, but it feels like once he's in a, in a good shooting position, it's actually quite a weapon and quite a threat. The problem is, sometimes he's a bit loose i think or chaotic with like he just likes to get the puck and then all of a sudden even if he's far out he just like spins around and wildly throws it towards the net and you know that counts as a shot especially if it goes on goals it it brings down a percentage or it counts as a shot attempt which is why he leads the league in them and i'm not a huge fan of those plays because i know it's all like yeah get the puck on that good things can happen it can bounce in create further rebound opportunities it is a bit of an inefficient way or a low percentage play, in my opinion. At the same time, though, it's kind of like what you get with him, right? It, 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 he's not hes not Alex Tangay. He's not going to like wait for the perfect opportunity to shoot and then capitalize on it. he You take that volume and kind of deal with it. And in the grand scheme of things, it's not that big of a negative, but I did want to note it because sometimes you can sort of see it doesn't matter in the situations they're playing in, right? Like the Sharks are losing a lot. They're in kind of these wild games. There's not that much structure involved. I do wonder whether... If they if he gets traded to a team and is all of a sudden in these like tight playoff games, whether it can become a bit of a an annoying habit for for his teammates and for fans to deal with if he doesn't rein it in or, or sort of you know play a bit more disciplined offensive zone game. Well, yeah, certainly not picky to your
1: point, right? Yes. Like, yeah, <laughs> and there are picky shooters in this league. I think I think where it becomes a detriment and where it, where it can become a detriment I hasn't really to this point yet this year, but you mentioned these playoff games. You mentioned there are some teams that are going to be in the market for his services, given how affordable he is, that are a little bit more rigid with their offensive structures. Mm -hmm. Um, I think where it becomes problematic is when it's a shift killer, right? And you do see this throughout the league pretty frequently. As guys will come in, they pull up, they shoot from distance. It's high off the glass. That's a transition attempt. You've robbed your team of an entire shift of shots and scoring chances, right? So um, you don't see that a ton from him. At least I haven't in the games that I watched. I, I it's worth noting though to your point, right? Like I think uh the the quickness, the quickness with which he wants to get it off of his stick, yeah, can I think sometimes be short-sighted for sure. Um, but I do like the I don't want to say wanton nature, but like what, what I like is when it touches his blade, it's gone sometimes. And especially when you're in those high danger chances where there's not enough time to be picky and you've got goalies taking side to side movements, you don't, you know, it, it's don't get me wrong. It's a nice feeling to have the puck roll off the back of your blade, you know, for this crisp wrist shot. But I think for Meyer, it's if I can get a part of myself on it, <laughs> elbow yep. knee, stick, um, I'll take that. So, uh, but yeah, that's a good call. Out. And I think after, we're all assuming that this trade gets happened, but it gets executed at some point. Um, But, you know, if it does, and he does land somewhere else, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens with that volume. And if it does adjust at all, uh, and if perhaps there's less freedom for him to take those kind of decisions.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right now he's certainly like, he's in a very perfect spot for him on a personal level in terms of getting his right. It's like, Get out there. Doesn't matter. You shoot as much as you want. Everything's going to funnel through you. We've got, as you said, Eric Carlson as a fourth forward. They're basically, you know, pinching every single time and and keeping some of these possessions alive. And I think that plays into why some of the shots he chooses to take aren't possession killers because they have four forwards out there for most of these shifts, and so they're just like extending all these plays and then hemming you in and keeping you tired and keeping it going. But like I said, it's kind of part of the trade off, and and ultimately, I don't mind it from the perspective of part of the perks of his game is that constant movement, right? And getting second, third, fourth opportunities. And it's not just a one and done. Like he certainly can carry it into the zone and and, and do that solo act himself. But a lot of it is just getting those shifts going. And I think that is something that his future coach and, you know, fans of whatever team are, are cheering them on in playoff games are going to enjoy like that, that sort of traditional, like, let's just grind out an 80 second shift in the offensive zone here, tire out the other team, draw a penalty, get on the power play really like feel like we're establishing momentum. He does a lot of that. So it's kind of like, it's part of the whole package, I think.
1: Yeah. And and, I mean, you look at the rate at which he draws penalties and then the level of competition he's playing against Mm -hmm. like those two things juxtaposed next to each other paint, I think a picture of what his skill set is. Uh, I, yeah, that's it. Um, You know, I think I often question, you know, look at the end of the day, how defensively, and we had this conversation a million times, I mean, how defensively impactful are wingers, right. Mm -hmm. Um, I think his defensive impacts this year, especially are so good um, or better because he's just not having to play a lot of defense. Uh, so that, that, you know, at the end of the day, um, I think if you can find, here's the other thing I want to say. Um, the, the knowledge and the trust he has in his teammates to not be physical for no reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, I put a couple videos in here of this. And I, and I, I mentioned this to me because we talk about like potential landing spots. Like you think about the kind of center he plays well with, or, um, what line he fits in with, he you don't see him in unnecessarily engage in physical behavior along the wall. So even though he's making a living in this home plate area, they're grinding, they're cycling, all these long shifts, uh, he peels off a lot. And what I mean by that is he's he's approaching a play that is there's players engaged in a wall battle, right? Uh, and as he's approaching it, I think he, he often makes the correct assessment on what to do next. And more often than not, You'll see him peel off and make himself available for the end result of that wall battle, uh, like positioning for a breakout um, knowing where that loose puck's going to squirt, you know, adequately reading those plays uh, and not coming in and just take making a hit to make a hit and inflating that number in your stat column. Like there's a lot of peeling off and saying, no, I want the puck. I want the entry. But you look at how much he's bringing it across the blue line for the sharks and what his entry rate with possession is. Among four, obviously discounting Carlson, who's on a you know living on a planet that's you know non-human, <laughs> yep. uh, the reason he's got these numbers is because of that availability and that peel off to say like I'm not you know I, I love that I I just think that you know I love watching a player say you know and again not saying not being physical is important or but there's so many hits in the league that are just hits to to for the sake of hitting right yep. we call them finishing checks but they're they're not impactful in the game at all. And here we have a player saying, no, you take finishing the check. I just want to be in the right position. I trust my teammates are going to win this wall battle. I know I want to get the puck and and score afterwards, so I'm just going to focus on that. Uh, I prefer that, I think, in a lot of cases to – to the unnecessary physicality.
0: Certainly. Yeah, the unnecessary stuff just ultimately it does the other team a favor because you're just taking yourself out of the player or, or becoming a one less concern for them, right? It's like, all right, all of a sudden this guy is just like engaged in this for no reason whatsoever. We can we don't have to worry about him. It's like, all right, he's over there by himself. Um, you know, the versatility for Myers game I think is a really important point of this and something that I keep thinking about where sport logic has him at fourth in the league in rush chances. But also 15th in the league in chances off the cycle. And that rush chance stat in particular is amazing. You mentioned like how often he's the one doing the carrying. I think Corey Schneider in his tracking has the Sharks at like 30th in the league in generating shots off the rush. And so for him to outshine that environment to that degree and like individually be as good as he's been is interesting to me. And I think also, you know, the fact that, you can put. I think he can really thrive in almost any situation. I I I, I talk. I didn't mean it to sound as like a negative thing, where like he's in a situation right now where he can just sort of not stat pad, but just you know accumulate numbers the way he has. I think wherever he goes, he's gonna do good because if you want to play fast, he can play with pace, right? Move up the ice quickly. He makes himself available, as you said. He's not. He's constantly peeling off. But also, if you want to slow the game down, cycle it around kind of create more of that below the hash marks type of offense, which we see more of in the playoffs when all of a sudden you can't just rush up and up and down the ice freely as much as you did in the regular season. He can do that really well too. And so if you put him next to a distributor and a playmaker, he's not going to get wherever he goes, that team probably will not have an Carlson level distributor from the blue line. But if he goes to a team like the Devils, let's say, and he's playing with Jack Hughes, All of a sudden, that's a very interesting partnership for me in terms of being able to beat you in so many ways based off of their two individual skill sets.
1: Yeah, 100%. And if you look at, like, you know, around the league um, and who his comparables are, and this is obviously through the games that Corey, uh, I'm going off Corey's data here, but Mm -hmm. like his shot assists per 60 are just as you talk about volume he's setting people up to just as much as he is taking the shots. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, you're getting that with this too, is his ability, you know, that dichotomy you talked about, like he's, he's, he's so good at rush chances and simultaneously so good at chances off the cycle. I think you still get that with shots and shot assists for him too. Um, it's not just one or the other. I think he's, he really is a, a, a two tool player in that, in that sense, if you will, is he's not just taking all these passes and he's proven that he's adept and capable at setting them all up as well. Um, I and mean, we have to talk to you about just his raw number of zone chances or zone entries as mm-hmm. well. Um, there it's through the roof. I mean, he's, he's, you know, I think Noah, Noah Gregor has an insane amount for the sharks. And I think maybe a little bit less ice time and that skewed some of the data. But I think if you, you filter down to the minutes um, there's just, you know, no forward on the sharks that's taking, the puck across the blue line more than him and really only a handful of forwards in the league too. So, um, you know, the distribution and utility you get out of him uh, is extremely high beyond just what he provides in that home plate area as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, the malleability, whether it's who he's going to play with what team it's going to be on or, you know, projecting to the playoffs, what the situation is going to call for in terms of, all right, you're playing against a Carolina and then maybe you're playing against the Tampa Bay or you're playing against Boston or Toronto, right? Like all these teams have different relative strengths and weaknesses, especially defensively. And the fact that you can use him in a way that he can sort of identify and then target and and really press his thumb down on those weaknesses is huge. And so mentioning about like the postseason and how fans are going to feel about watching him play in those games we haven't seen him play a playoff game since 2018-19 right and and he's pretty clearly a different player since then he was really good in that postseason run too by the way but I think another thing that stands out on the tape when you watch him is speaking of the rush opportunities and how much he's carrying the puck his ability to fight through contact and still get his shot off is going to be huge and it's unfortunate that this is Something that needs to be said because you'd like to think that, all right, the game is just going to be called the same way in the playoffs and it won't be as big of a deal. But we know that there's much more obstruction. You get away with a lot more. You get certainly more bang for your buck. And teams will take liberties. They will try to slow you down by any means necessary. And his ability to... Absorb all of that. And sometimes he even gets like knocked down, but he keeps possession of the puck or keeps it in his vicinity and then gets mm-hmm. back up and still extends the play and keeps going. Dangling on that his that knees or that, something, right? Yeah. 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 He had that goal against the Ducks where he got knocked down, still kept the puck, then got back up and wound up scoring. The fact that he can do that, like you can use him against any defender and he'll still find a way to create offense. And that's huge because unfortunately, not every offensive player is built that way, right? Like he has certain physical skills and tendencies that are going to allow him to succeed regardless of the setting. And I think
1: we combine that, that facet of his game, that toughness and ability to stay upright with the speed at which he can operate. And again, I, I have to go back to what I said earlier, not one of the fastest forwards in the league, but his ability to get to his top speed is so quick that it really creates problems. And you see these clips, Dimitri, he's giving defensemen hiccups, mm-hmm. right? Like he comes at you so quickly uh, that you, these guys are coughing up, up coughing up pucks, turning it over, miss misplaying it. it. Uh, it's like a freight train and it's very North South. I think it's the other thing that, that I love uh, is it's, it's direct hockey. Um, it's, it's right in your face. And, he, and to your point he um, you can maintain possession in a number of of compromised positions uh which enables him to we keep going back to these discussions about like elongating these shifts and how is it possible for someone to you know be you know both a volume shooter and volume assist shot assist uh guy at the same time these are the plays that make that you know possible um and extend those possessions so um i mean it's you know i i i feel like you know there's a possibility that depending on where he ends up, like this really does become much more of a household name in the NHL than it is right now. And that's not a slight to San Jose. Right. But look, they're not great. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, like he, we're talking yeah. about a forward that metrically is better than 99% of the other forwards in the national hockey league. So that, you know, I, I just feel like there's an opportunity for him to land somewhere that really puts that spotlight on him and makes this a little bit more of a, of common knowledge. Cause this is really is a hidden gem. Um, I, I said it in the article' it was like really like a we use the tool five tool player in baseball Dimitri, but we talk about like from the ability of you, know, you think about what what how can you what are some ways you can't deploy Timo Meyer? the list is pretty
0: short. Well, and don't you think that 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 um, different ways he can beat you that versatility, the malleability is gonna make him is, is gonna make him such a fan favorite to your point of like his star growing and the name recognition and the way you can build around him. There's a little bit of something for everyone in there, right? Like, he's got the skill and the speed, if that's your thing. He's also got that north-south, like, no funny business. Let's get the puck to the net. Let's be, like, that traditional power forward that your boomer uncle is also going to like. Like, there's yeah. there's no, like, there, you're not going to get any, fan, any market he goes to. You're not really going to get a situation where it's like, oh, man, like... This guy is very divisive, like he's going to be loved and celebrated. And especially if he's playing big postseason games next to other star players, like you're right. I think he's got real potential to, it seems silly to break out because I think most people are, that are following the NHL, certainly listening to this podcast are probably aware of Timo Meyer and what he brings to the table. But I think there's room to grow in terms of like, wow, all right, this guy is a, is a household name in in, in hockey circles.
1: Yeah, as a brand, right? Yeah. Like there's a, there's that branding that has yet to occur from like those big postseason modes. And you, I'm looking forward to that because like you said, it's such a long time ago, right? Totally different player now. I think he's much more sure-footed than he was then. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's bigger. Uh, and I, his, I think refinement and understanding the game, um, if you look at it over time, I mean, the proof is in the pudding, right? All of these metrics we've been talking about, um, you know, whether you look at it from a war perspective or just a overall ability to finish perspective, um, you know, from 2019 to today, there's, there's just been a market improvement in it. So, um, you know, I, I, I think regardless of, uh, you know, whether or not he's able to get a long-term deal from where he ends up or not, um, you know, the, 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 the case will be made, I think, for um, for his name to, you know, like you said, be a little bit more um, uh,
0: available to the folks that are outside of the PDO cast. Yes, certainly. All right, Jesse, let's take our break here while we still can. And then when we come back, we'll keep, we'll kind of close with the conversation on Meyer and some of the other things to consider moving forward and kind of maybe project where we'd like to see him go, what that's going to look like in the postseason, what the future holds for him. Uh, so looking forward to all that. We'll be back in a second here at your listening to the Hockey PDO cast on the Sportsnet Radio Network. The most comprehensive Canucks coverage in the city. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. cast here with Jesse Marshall doing our film club study on Timo Meyer. Um, let's spin it forward. Now let's think about, we've kind of been tiptoeing around like where we'd like to see what situation we'd like to be in the type of playing environment, what I think, or what you think um, could optimize his skills or really put him in a position to succeed. He is so multidimensional in that regard. Do you have, are you with me that the devils are the most interesting fit? Stylistically, in terms of potentially unlocking even more there offensively from him in terms of the creativity, the speed, the multiple ways they can beat you? Or do you have another fit that you think is more intriguing for him personally?
1: No, it's the it's the devils. I, I wrote this article, Dimitri, from McKean's way back weeks into the season when like John Marino was mm-hmm. you know an early season Norse candidate about how good New Jersey is. And I think. So good that I think it's beyond just being good at it. It's a focal point for their team. Like they're they're studying this in film, working from behind the goal line, which every team in the National Hockey League should be doing. You're mm-hmm. crazy if you're not. Um, the Devils are killing it at working the puck from behind the goal line and sort of triangulating their, their forwards in this little triangle of doom, right? Um, and really having a good cycle off that. And if you think of all the stuff we just talked about, with Timo Meyer, man, would he fit in so well with that offensive scheme? Not only the fact that they've activated their D all year long, um, they've encouraged that um, they've got the makeup for it um, all throughout their lineup. Um, So we talk about like, you know, they're, they're lacking in Eric Carlson, but you know, you'll take Dougie Hamilton, right? Mm -hmm. Um, The, the behind the net focus, um, you know, you think about, you know, maybe him on a line with Jack Hughes and what that would look like. Yeah. Um. You know, it's it's probably the best possible, um, uh, landing position for him. Not only I think in style of play, but um, personnel. You know, the use that that San Jose gets out of him now in the way that they use him. It's it's very. I think there's a there's a mirror there in New Jersey for him uh, to kind of settle in and have a little bit. Uh, uh, of a, a similar environment potentially.
0: Yeah, the idea of him playing with Jack Hughes and those guys riffing off each other and just replacing like Eric Holla's minutes with Timo Meyer is just is outrageous, right? Like, I, I and, and the reason why I keep bringing it up on the show every week is is, is is I'm just so infatuated by the potential of it, right? Like, you look at stylistically. Meyer is amongst the league leaders and shots from the slot. As we've talked about for the first half of the show, he gets to those dangerous areas with such consistency, keeps moving, finds ways to make himself available. And Jack Hughes is like third or fourth in the league at passes into the slot and has really, he's scoring a lot of goals now. And it's almost out of necessity because he's in these situations where he's like, all right, well, I'm the best player on the ice. So I'm just going to take the puck and score myself. I still think at, at the root of it though, He's at his best when he's slicing and dicing, making place for other and others, and I think he wants to do that. And unfortunately, they just haven't been burying enough of the opportunities that he's provided. And all of a sudden, you put Meyer in those situations instead, and I feel like they could just they could go nuclear offensively without without sacrificing much defensively. Like, as you noted in the defensive zone, with with the ability to break the puck out, keep it moving in the right direction. Hughes himself, I think, just based like an activity level and perspective has made himself a perfectly fine defensive player and so it would be almost a flawless combination for me like i really i can't see any roadblock or potential reason for like why the Devils shouldn't be seriously exploring it and why they shouldn't be the team to ultimately pull the trigger on this type of deal honorable mention to
1: tage thompson timo meyer that that would be not as fun uh, but there's a potential for some magic there with Alex Took and, and uh yeah. and, and that'd be fun too. But no, you're right. And the Devils should move heaven and earth to do it because they are uh I mean, look at that. That team's good. Um, and this is a, you know, again, reiterating a player for the Sharks who's putting up numbers better than 99% of the forwards in the National Hockey League. You know the impact area that he has in front of the net. You know that you have, like you said, a skilled center who is available to dish those pucks in there. Uh, And and again, if you're going to work from behind the goal line, you have to have someone who excels in that area. And you're, I mean, look, you're just not going to get anybody better. I I just don't think there's anybody doing it better than him. Uh, I, you know, I think the Rangers are in there too, right? Like I think they'll, they'll, they're probably the devil's probably stiffest competition. You know, you Buffalo's names come up, but I just don't think stylistically there's really that, that fit. Right, that's what really is missing is the stylistic fit. Uh, that that is what New Jersey has over the other teams, I think, in Spades.
0: I I, I put the Leafs in there as well, Not, yeah. Um, because they desperately need another scoring left winger, and also they play a bit slow for my liking sometimes. And having another puck transporter like him who can do the heavy lifting in that regard would be incredibly interesting, especially if you're like pairing them up with. I mean, you could do you could get creative with any sort of combinations, right? But like having him literally with Mitch Martner, having him with John Tavares, having him like it, 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 you can't go wrong in terms of uh, just offensive skill sets meshing together. I put the Hurricanes in there as well, because we know that they love to shoot from distance and then pack the paint and, and kind of create looks that in that way. And his skill set, I think fits well with that. And they need more offensive dynamicism, In his game, if that's a word, more like more dynamic qualities, and he would certainly provide that. I think they'd probably prefer a center. But now with Max Pacioretty out, I think it's certainly the door has been open for them to really get aggressive and creative in terms of trying to find a scoring winger. I just wonder whether for them, like they would want to pick up the tab on what his next contract looks like, as opposed to some of these other teams where they could, like a team like the Devils. The reason why they are so appealing is because he turns twenty seven in October. So you get him for the rest of this year, they're already a good team, they're already a cup contender. And then you get him to kind of not grow with Jack Hughes, but basically be there for the rest of his prime and have another four or five immensely productive seasons together. I think that kind of is what pushes the Devils over the top, but purely for this season. I mean, pretty much every contender out east, it seems like could desperately use this guy.
1: Yeah. Um, when it comes to that Carolina style, to, to me, like you think about how often uh, like living with like four two four checkers is their way of life, right mm-hmm. Like that's just the way you live in Carolina as you turn the heat up as high as it'll go and um, you know get after it. Uh, that's that that's that's perfect for him. A lot of his most so this is through the games that Corey has tracked already right for um, the all three zones project, but a, one of his most comparable uh, players in, in terms of his zone entries and, and his rates with carrying the puck and specifically having possession of the puck is andre svechnikov so Mm. i don't think he'd be out of the realm of possibility he could play in that system because he's already putting up
0: similar numbers to you know one of their better players in terms of his breakout ability yeah that's that's interesting i mean i'm really curious to see what the market is like ultimately for him because i agree i agree with you i think he's the best player flat out that's that's available um or realistically available at, at this year's market um you know, I'm typically against, you know, looking ahead. Does that typ- include Bo Horvat, Dimitri? You, did you make that statement like
1: like you would have said that even if Bo Horvat hadn't yeah. been traded? Okay.
0: I think so because I think he he's more useful in more ways. I know he doesn't play the premium position that Horvat does, and and I'm higher on Horvat than than people seem to be, because I don't think it's purely some sort of random contract year shooting percentage bump. Like he's clearly refined his game to be elite at what he does. I just think Meyer does a lot of that while also being much more of a natural puck carrier, much more of a threat to beat you with pace moving down the wing. Whereas Horvat, Horvat's going to love it for the Islanders because not only do they need the power play help, but it's much more of a methodical game. Even under Lambert, where they're attacking with more sort of aggression and risk in their game, it's still much more methodical and slow paced. Whereas if he goes to a team like the Devils or Carolina, he can really just slot into that just up-tempo, never stop moving. And be perfectly fine. So I, that's what I, I prefer him to that. But what I was going to say was, I'm generally very wary of committing significant capital to wingers. We're seeing the market has totally dried up for them. Do you agree that he's sort of a unique exception because you can almost plug him into any spot and also um, not be limited by like a one dimensional presence to his game, right? Like you, you can move him up and down the lineup, you can play him with different combinations of players. regardless of the opponent regardless of the playoff series and he's going to do great and so that's the type of player where i feel comfortable committing eight to nine million dollars per year moving forward for the rest of his prime seasons because he is a legitimate needle mover whereas some of these other wingers are like much more replaceable
1: you're getting you're paying for the utility you get 100 yeah that's that's in deployability um not only in minutes um but you know you could play either side of the ice you could you know um, you can get creative with how you use them like you said and you think about all the things we've talked about uh, I agree you know you uh, think about a slower style of play maybe like Toronto versus a a, you know a heavy forechecking style like a Carolina we haven't really found one that he doesn't fit yet and I I, with some wingers I don't know that you could say that right Um, there's certain fits that are bad there's certain things that aren't going to work and um, you know this is a um, the ability here to um, you know, like I said, with that utility, uh, have options available to you, um, and have a, a a presence that's consistently
0: threatening uh, in the offensive zone in in multiple ways. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm like I said, I'm curious about the market even for the trade deadline purposes because I think if the Sharks are smart, they're going to play this all the way until the deadline and leverage these teams against each other, right? Because the Devils, the Leafs, the Hurricanes, the the Rangers, the Sabres, for a long-term perspective. All these teams should be very, very interested in this. And so once you get that situation going, all of a sudden, it's not going to be like the Bullhorn Red situation where you know the Canucks dealing with Lou were scared to scare him off, essentially, or offend him by shopping that offer elsewhere. So they got offered that, and they're like, all right, we're going to take it because we like the futures. In this case, I think the Sharks should be like, well, the Devils just offered us... Alexander Holtz, a first, and Igor Sharangovich's RFA rights. What can you do to match that? To pre- especially as the Rangers to prevent uh, one of your geographical and division rivals from from getting a player of this caliber. So it'll be really fascinating to see whether they're able to parlay that into more than I think people are initially expecting them to get on the trade market.
1: That's the reason why I think this might be the one deal that we actually do get to see discussed on television the day of the trade deadline <laughs> that actually like takes up some time and gives people the ability to sink into something, uh, you know, that you're right. And it'd be crazy for, for San Jose to not try to extract every last morsel that they could get out of this thing. Um, it, it getting something like a Bo Horvat like return on this would be just a disaster. Um, you know, given, um, you know, given, I think one, that this is a player that you, you're not like these big teams are likely not going to have to like move heaven and earth to bring in from a cap perspective. Right. Um, you're not going to, you know um, that, that's not, it's not ruling teams out. Right. Um, that that's, that's huge. And especially because this environment is such that you almost have people like frozen from making trades because of their cap situation uh, that I a hundred percent with you. And I think this one might actually come down to the day of um, we get a decent
0: a decent little thing to discuss here in the middle of the afternoon mm. on trade deadline day. That'd be nice. Well, it yeah. gives us also another month of uh, just talking about Team speculating. <laughs> yeah, of course. Who doesn't love love that? Um, was there anything else here on Meyer, the player, the the market, the situation, anything you want to get into while we're here? We still got about like, I don't know, eight to 10 minutes or so. And I, I honestly, like I, uh, there's so many other factors probably to consider about well, this player is such a unique asset and such a, a such a, game-changing type of winger that we rarely see. Um, do you have anything else on him that, that really kind of either stuck out to you while you're watching the tape on him or interests you about him moving forward? No, I think we've covered it all. Um, like
1: I said, I think at the end of the day, um, if, if you're struggling, if you're looking at your team and you're saying like, we're not good enough in, in front of the net, whether that be on the power play um, or at even strength, and you're not getting scoring chances from those areas in tight, you're crazy if you're not on the phone for this one. I mean, it just, you know, again, you know, the difference between Timo Meyer and everyone else in the league, again, is the dedication and the second nature approach that you get to this stuff. And if you just turn on a Sharks game and you watch 28, when he comes out on the ice, you can almost, you know, it makes him sound like he's not a creative player when you say it like this to me, but you know where he's going to go, right? Like that's that's what's so crazy that teams are having such a hard time defending him. He's he's located in the same place every shift. Um, Finding him, marking him, moving him uh, and doing something about it is a completely different story. And a lot of the traditional stuff that you see work where guys get to stick up under the arms and like, you know, just wrench it up, you know, um, the annoying things that people have to deal with. And just, he's a tree trunk. It's just, you don't, you don't, it doesn't phase him, you know, it just moves yep. out of the you know, you lose him And um, his entry point to the area of attack is always maybe a little longer sometimes, but it's a way that loses you along the way. Right. So if you're not like, you know, throwing down a trail, of breadcrumbs, um, Hansel and Gretel style, you're in trouble. Uh, Cause you're going to be going on a journey or two uh, trying to mark them. And you've, you're, there's been good defensemen all year long, Demetri that have, Uh, tried and looked away for a second and put their head back and where is he Um, and that's the nature of the kind of player he is Um, so yeah excited to see uh, what the potential holds like I said as far as those playoff performances go I think it's going to be going to be a fun year for that um, uh, for him especially and sort of like a little bit of
0: a a blossoming nationally party if you will okay well here's a question I have for you just that, that this conversation got me thinking about do you think he not like organically or, or like intrinsically possesses, um, like that highest level of creativity in his game to truly play off of? Like, let's say if the Devils were the team to get him, right, and they're in a high leverage situation where they're like, all right, we're gonna try to try to put our best players on the ice and create a goal, maybe late in the game, or or they trailing and they load up Hughes, uh, Meyer, and Jesper Bratt together. Like, I, I've seen Bratt and Hughes, for example can think the game at such a high level where they're just like, it's almost like they're like one person kind of playing off each other in that way. Meyer's much more like no frills brute force, as you said, like north-south. He's got certainly abundance of skill and I've seen him make high-level creative plays, but it's also not like something he necessarily leans on as his primary source of attack. Do you think that he could not only fit in but thrive in a situation like that? Or do you think he's better used in a way where you just kind of keep his route tree, so to speak, simple and just get him to sort of try to do one thing and do it remarkably well. I, I say yes, though.
1: I, I don't think you keep him limited. Um, mm. Let me throw this at you. Like there was a, a situation against the Ducks. Um, I think it was the most recent game against the Ducks that the Sharks had where he it was a long cycle in the offensive zone. Um, he hurt a bonker out there. You're doing their thing. And he's in a compromised situation, right? He's pinned, he's got the wall on, puck on the wall, back to the play, side, you know, sort of like, he's not going to get boarded, right? But there's two, there's two duck forecheckers pressing down on him, sort of in the flow of the play. And you're kind of expecting him to try to peel off or do something about the pressure, right? Yep. And his answer to the question, Demetri, was to not do anything. It was almost as if he knew he was going to get buzzed by these ducks, mm-hmm. right? They weren't going to engage with him. The cycle had been going on for so long that these guys were tired, not super engaged and just looking at like getting this thing deep and getting off. Mm. Right. So with, I think like with that knowledge pinned in this compromised position, instead of trying to roll off pressure, move into the, you know, he just didn't do anything. He sat on the wall, got buzzed by both these four checkers and turns around and makes a high danger pass. I'm <laughs> just like, yeah. you know, like that, that is a, a moment of inaction where the inaction speaks louder than anything else that he could have done. You know, yeah. just the, 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 the knowledge of the situation, who he was out against, how long he'd been out there and, and almost the correct prediction of I'm not going to get hit. These guys aren't going like, to, they're looking to just get the puck deep and get out. Like I see this stuff individually and in how he attacks individual defensemen all the time using the uh, 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 bank off boards to step around guys, right. That have a better positioning on him area plays with the puck. Those are the things that I think make me say yes to your question, because Mm -hmm. those are the skills that you need to be able to execute a a quick one touch pass with, with Jack Hughes or that, you know, those, that innate sense is there for it. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know that we've seen it a ton, you know, in San Jose with the, the crash and bang style, that line sort of plays. But yeah. I think he has the ability to fit in with that and to be able to make those kind of, you know, intrinsically smart chemistry-like plays, if you will, um, that that you see the Devils do a lot of.
0: Well, initially when you brought that up, I was going to be like, because you're like, oh, remember that game against the Ducks? And I was going to say, I think we should eliminate all references to anything anyone does against the Ducks this season, <laughs> season in terms of like a learning <laughs> Uh, experience because it's it's very it's almost unlike any other sort of you can't really it's not simulating an, an, an nhl level <laughs> right. of of play but you're right like see that that um under pressure that processing speed or like understanding of kind of what he needs to do or what not what he needs to not do is huge and i think that'll that'll serve him well uh if he does go to a team like the devils all right jesse uh this was a blast man i uh, i really enjoyed this hopefully the listeners got to know Timo Meyer's game and the intricacies of it a little bit better. And uh, that's what we're trying to accomplish here with the film club. So I'll let you on the way out, promote some stuff, let people know where they can check out that article that you referenced and, um, and maybe give us a little sneak sneak peek in terms of what you're thinking of working on next. I'm always curious to, uh, to, to figure out who's going to get the deep dive treatment from you.
1: Yeah. So, uh, that article is on McKeen's, um, uh, McKeen Taki. Um, uh, I'm writing there. Um, a feature focus on a player or like a systems element, um, every other week changing off a of Corey who does the all three zones project. We referenced 9,000 times today. Mm-hmm. So, um, and he's always bringing it. Um, and then, uh, really, uh, coming up is when we talk about how bad the bad ones are. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> getting into, we're gonna talk about Brian Dumlin. It's depressing. Yeah. Um, and as a guy that you and I have really gushed about a lot over the years is sort of like being the perfect modern day NHL product. And, um,
0: unfortunately, uh, yeah. it's been father bleak. time comes for us all. Yeah yes yeah okay well maybe next time we have you on we can talk more about the penguins because i've certainly got some thoughts and uh they're headed towards an interesting couple weeks here um Um, all right man this is a blast i'm glad we got to do this uh for the listeners my only plug is uh is go leave a rating interview for the pdo cast wherever you listen smash that five star button and we'll be back tomorrow with another episode here so until then thank you for listening to the hockey pdo cast streaming on the Sportsnet radio network